You know Geiger's bookstore across the street? I think I may have passed. You know Geiger by sight? Geiger's in his early 40s, medium height, fattish, soft all over, Charlie Chan mustache, well-dressed, wears a black hat, affects the knowledge of antiques and hasn't any. And, oh, yes, I think his left eye is glass. Hello. Hello. Hello, and welcome back to A.G. Geiger Presents. Bless me, Father, it's been almost a year since my last podcast. I took a sort of gap year to deal with the closure of the brick-and-mortar portion of our store in Chinatown and to relocate to Santa Barbara. It was a sort of Henry VIII escaped the plague to Hampton Court kind of move. Well, that didn't take a year to do, of course, so I'll, I'll just admit to having fallen for several months into a deep funk. There are days I, I, I just started counting getting out of bed and making myself tea as a successful day. The days brightened, though, and I, I found the spring in my step again, and upon reflection afforded by the long walks on the COVID-empty beaches in my new home, I rejoined the things that I find important, talking with artists among them. I recently got a call from Tatum Hawkins, the former director of the Sola Gallery, saying that I should meet with two artists who will be having a show soon. So, thanking Tatum for the leg up back into the saddle, it's with real pleasure that I'm hitting the podcast trail again and very excited to present a conversation with two artists, Monica Wyatt and Claire Graham. Claire Graham, as you'll hear, chafes at being called an artist and prefers the term craftsman. A portion of our conversation probes that linguistic boundary, but to me, his protest notwithstanding, Mr. Graham seems to at least blur that delineation. Despite their similarities in background in the entertainment business, their processes, and arguably their work outcomes, Wyatt, in contrast, describes herself as firmly in the art camp. Wyatt's sculptures, in which their rich tactile surfaces and evocation of organic forms, is comprised of objects cast off from our industrial world and brings the work of Eva Hess to mind. Likewise, Claire's work is constructed of bits and pieces of our everyday. Lots and lots of bits and pieces. His studio, named Moore York in Highland Park, is at once workspace and a wonderland installation of an ongoing obsession with collecting and crafting. Think Joseph Cornell's studio amplified to a 7,000 square foot former Safeway market and you'll start to get the picture. It's in the heart of this magical beast that Wyatt will install recent pieces and I for one am looking forward to the opening on Sunday, April 10th. We'll have details about the show and the opening reception at the end of the podcast. Okay, so just to be clear, Monica is having a solo show called Curiouser inside the More York space. But as you will hear, the artists think that you might have difficulty differentiating just where Monica's work starts or ends and Claire's work begins or ends and vice versa. Curiouser indeed. I began our fascinating conversation with both Claire and Monica with a question on how the two met 
and how the upcoming show came about. Monica jumped in. I had seen Claire's work when he had a show at, um, it used to be the Craft and Folk Art Museum, now it's called Craft Contemporary. Right. I think in 2014, and the work blew my mind. Um, about four years ago, a friend, um, Dave Lovejoy and I were co-curating a show for Sola Gallery that was being, being uh, staged down in San Pedro at the, the Loft Gallery. And we were putting together artists who just sort of have this fanatical approach to their making and very complicated labor intensive. And first person to come to mind was Claire, who was uh, a friend of Dave's. So that's how I got to know Claire. And um, we have stayed in touch and he, whether he wants to admit it or not is, is my art mentor and inspiration. Monica is currently focused on assemblage, but she is also an accomplished sculptor of abstracted bronze figures. They remind me of Henry Moore. So I wondered if she was already working with cast off materials when she discovered Claire at the Craft Contemporary. I was starting to, I, I started with doing sort of shadow box, intimate assemblage pieces, sort of Joseph Cornell was my, my first uh, love and inspiration. And um, by 2014, I was definitely starting to break out of the box. And, and I also do clay bronze sculpture. So I started to approach the materials more like clay where you can, you can just sculpt them into different shapes. So I was starting to go bigger and, and, and bolder and uh, seeing Claire's work, it was like, you know. Yeah, it's funny when you mentioned Cornell, I, I uh, when looking at pictures of your studio, Claire, I was, uh, it had flashes of the pictures of Cornell's studio um, where, you know, there's tons of boxes and they're all labeled. <laughs> It was that an influence for you or did you just stumble into this kind of work? Yeah, I think both Monica and my pedigrees are pretty much the same with the same mentors in our pasts and the same reference points. I have to state that I'm not really an artist. I'm a craftsman. Uh -huh. So that just means that I'm materially reactive. Everything I do is based upon what I find to manipulate. And that's what you see in the studio is just the accumulation of a lifetime of collecting individual bits that if I have them long enough and find enough of them, they'll turn into something. Right. That's the impulse, but the same sources of inspiration. By my lights, the craft art line is crossed at functionality. A ceramic bowl can be artful and beautiful unto itself, but it can also be used to anchor your morning binge on Fruit Loops. A bowl-shaped vessel that has a large hole in the bottom will be equally beautiful and artful, but brings the question of what it means to be a vessel to the fore, making it art and not craft. I asked Claire if that was his point of demarcation as well. 
No, because I have absolutely no uh, influence over the content that the piece has other than the material and what it speaks to the viewer. Mm. So I, I don't pump any political opinion. I don't pump any aesthetic opinion into it. I let the material speak for itself. And that's purely a, a craft practice. Um, well, I mean, to a certain extent, I mean, that's true of any art. I mean, if, uh, you know, you don't really have much control over what somebody brings to the, you know, if you have a painting and somebody stands in front of it, you know, they're going to unpack their own psychological baggage. And so in, in one of your pieces, that's all bottle caps or whatever you, uh, you know, see people are going to unpack whatever baggage they have anyway. So I don't know that that your effort isn't any less artful. I think Claire and I will argue about this till till uh, our, our last <laughs> days because I think of his work as incredible art, and he he considers himself a maker, and and I right. respect that. But I'm still dazzled by the art. Well, I um, Claire, were you? I, I didn't notice that. Did you, did you go to art school or no? I can't remember. Um, yeah, I went to CSULB, uh, did an MA. Well, first I did a BA, then a BFA, then an MA, and then an MFA. Oh, my God. So, yeah, I did a whole course of that. Um, I've always been one of those museum addicts. Right. Um, fairly literate in the difference between craft and art. And I know which side I fall on. You can't always detect a craftsman making art, but you can sure detect an artist using craft processes that they haven't mastered or understand mm. to make art. So I think there is a difference. I think there is yeah. a vast difference. And so who I, might be an example of that then? Somebody who's not a very good craftsperson, but making art. You mean using a craft process ineptly? Yeah. yeah. Uh, it would be embarrassing to state some of the the major, you know, million dollar practitioners. Well, we could cut it out. I'm just curious. Oh, um, people like... You can remain anonymous. I, I, I saw a show at the Met. With uh -huh. an exquisite piece on the wall that was little loops of tape. And there were probably 10,000 pins in the wall and a loop of the tape on every one of these. If you saw it opening day, it was great. It was all on the wall because it was all about the lighting and the shadow through the tape, creating these sort of donut, mysterious ovals on the wall. It was an exquisite piece. Tara Donovan, maybe. Second day, there were probably 150 open pieces of tape lying on the floor. <laughs> the third day, and it wasn't planned as a migrating oh, no. aesthetic <laughs> visual that, you know, see it yeah. before autumn comes and they're all on the ground. <laughs> so it's stuff like that that uh, disturbs me. Um, yeah. There's a whole school of ceramicists now who are after sort of Arte Povera. I'm a, an artist and I throw these things and whatever I do creates art. Well, no, it doesn't in a lot right, of cases. Right, right. You know, and they don't understand Clay's theory. They don't understand uh, the difference between how a glaze reacts and how the clay reacts and coefficients of expansion and contraction. And they end up with these messes that they think are, you know, sort of uh, 
evidence of their art and no, right. it's just evidence of bad you know, <laughs> practice. So, so how, how, about, uh, how about artists then that uh, have the idea but someone else executes it and it highly, you know, highly skilled craftspeople. And I would it. say their name is either the production designer or the art director, not the artist. Um, I knew a bunch of the fulfillment houses for major artists like Jeff Koons and people like that. Sure, right. Exquisite craftsmanship. Right. The absolute top skills in any one of those um, pieces. But, and, and if you saw the, um, what was the, the television show that Tom Ford and Jeff Koons had a conversation for an hour about the practice and they toured Jeff Koons' studio and the, the paint room, thousands of labeled numbered hues. And you would see these people basically going into the room and pulling a color by, by the code on it, going to a basically paint by number computer output canvas and painting taking that, putting it back, getting another one and doing another part of this paint by number. Jeff Koons had nothing, his hands never touched a single part of that process. So, I think that's fascinating, right? <laughs> oh, it is fascinating, but he's an art director. You know, that's right. not being an yeah. artist. Well, so, you know, like, like uh, Ru uh, Ruben, Rubens uh, was famously had that, of course. Well, all of the, the, the big painters that back in the day had, you know, schools of the guys that would uh right, right. paint their paintings for them and Ruvan would famously kick everyone out of the studio when any when you know the patrons would show up so that he would just look incredibly prolific <laughs> you know that that uh if the master's hand has touched it in some way and um then participate participant in the crafting process, the making process, then great. Otherwise, you just step back and let yeah. the people who honestly did the work take the credit. And, you know, you're still getting the money, the tens of billions of dollars for right. a, a floating yeah. uh, dog sculpture. But anyway, right. it's... No, I get it. I get it. I'm with you. Switching it up, I asked Monica about her influences. Um, well, in addition to Claire, uh, definitely Eva Hesse, Ruth Asawa, uh, Betty Saar, Claire Falkenstein. Yeah. Yeah, I that, it ticked off all the boxes I had. Um, maybe Nevelson I had. Um, mm. But and then then. Um, so in your work, Monica, that, and well, both of you have it, but um, you're using found objects, but uh, they're not really found. I mean, both of you go out and actually look for these things, right? Monica, do you yeah. do that? Or? Oh, ab absolutely. I mean, part of the, the, the fun is the hunt for, for interesting materials and I think I'd speak for Claire and me. Both of us work off of sort of the, the inspiration that the material gives us. Like I'll buy, recently I bought, I don't know, 
20,000 uh, steel sewing machine bobbins. And when I bought them, um, this was from a, a sewing supply company that was retiring after 60 years. And they're asking, what are you gonna do with this? <laughs> and I said, I have absolutely no idea, but you get this feeling in your stomach. Like I, I know there's something here. And so what do you find attractive though, if you think about it? Is it, is it a particular shape or a color, a, a, a reflective surface? It's, it's, all, it's all of the above. Um, and seeing it in large quantities, seeing, seeing the multiples mm -hmm. of it. And that starts to trigger my imagination of, you know, how I can combine it and what, what would work combining it. Um, most of these sculptures are from materials that have nothing to do with each other. But once a, a piece is, is made, you know, in, in success, it hopefully looks like it was always meant to be like that. Mm -hmm. or, or the pieces have some kind of dialogue between them. Or the, yeah, the materials. And I love the contrast of materials. Like um, in this upcoming show, I have uh, a couple large pieces with these reflective, beautiful acrylic tubes. And they're strung together with this very matte hemp cord. And I love the, the, the contrast of those and, and how they play off of each other. Both Monica and Claire are versed in the history of assemblage art or collage or bricolage, which introduced itself as a most modern art practice with the Cubists and then with the Dada folk and their ready-mades, the armband of absurdist rebellion. It, of course, surfaced again strongly in the 50s and 60s with another sort of rebellion against the high altar of abstract expressionism. I'm zooming through Western art history here. Um, with the likes of, say, Jasper Johns and Rauschenberg's and, you know, two-and-a-half-dimensional paintings. But then grew into a counterculture hotbed world of West Coast assemblage with the likes of, say, George Herms or Ed Keenholz and so on. I mentioned to Monica and Claire that the Dada ready-mades and later Neo-Dada stuff, if you want to categorize it like that, was big into absurdity, but that Claire and Monica's work had a sort of recycling aspect to it. Not an in-your-face environmental messaging, but there seemed to be a facet of renewableness. Claire pushed back and reiterated that his work is most about what the materials themselves tell him to do. Uh, I would comment, comment on that by saying that I, I think most artists who put the tag of recycling artist on their work are just trying to uh, be a trending moment. Uh, that's completely bogus. I mean, we all use materials that we respond to in one way or another. And the recycling thing is a way to get some additional interest from the demographic that buys such things and, you know, could potentially want one of them, but I, that's not a part of uh, my impulse at all. The patina that something has is of great interest. Um, and I agree with everything that Monica said about how a, a series of objects or material can uh, grab you and give you that instant epiphany of 
oh my God, this is great, something I can do. And you don't know what it is, but you know that if you combine it, but I love the freight that things carry with them, the history they've had, how they've weathered over time, how they will weather over time. And I like including enough of them that infinite variability um, is kind of leveled out and it all becomes the same. You know, a crowd of one is just me, but a stadium full of people, 120,000 is something, but a city of 23 million is incredible. So I play a lot of number games in what I do, like number of bottle caps I've probably used, oh, maybe seven or eight million of them now. Mm. Um, bottle caps lesser than that, but probably buttons I'm getting beyond that number now that you know you just keep making bigger and bigger assemblages of things that you know kind of level it out and make it become something else i get a lot of people walking into the studio looking at something and not recognizing the material that yeah. is made out of you know and they'll come up and they'll rub it or touch it and then oh my god that's bottle caps claire went on to discuss the intricacies of collecting pop tops and the dangers of cutting yourself on the sharp serrated edges of tens of thousands of bottle caps. As you will see when you visit the show, the repetitive elements dissolve into the whole to create a spellbinding piece. And I, for one, am glad that he has literally bled for his art, or craft, as he would say. I had read that Monica was the daughter of a physicist and that she discovered her affinity for objects while cleaning up the test tubes and other detritus of her father's laboratory. When in high school, I was the, the janitor for my dad's business and the, the, the chief uh, test tube bottle washer. So I was surrounded by all this, um, you know, kind of Dr. Demento, fascinating scientific um, material. And at the time, I could care less. I, I didn't really... Uh, consciously think about it. But as I've um, sort of the further I've, I've gotten from it, the, the more I see it seeping into my work. I mean, my, my dad would lead by example, you know, making something from nothing. And, and this was a, a, an impressionable part of my childhood. So I'm now finding that I'm using kind of those same, those same teachings in my artwork. Uh, but at the, at the time, I really, all I wanted to do was, you know, clock my hours and, and get out the door and head to East Beach in Santa Barbara. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but um, yeah, interestingly, a lot of my work does feel scientific. So I think it's in the DNA. Many of the shapes in Monica's work appear organic, and so do some in Claire's work for that matter, but I didn't think that either of them set out to make a large piece suspended from the ceiling that, say, looks like kelp. Right, right. I mean, I, um, thinking back to some of my earliest sort of, when it was in more the Joseph Cornell type of work, um, I would still use elements like suspended balls or orbs. And um, I 
have always been drawn to those organic shapes and the simplicity of them and sort of the, the, the elegance. And when I'm making my pieces, um, it's not that I'm, I mean, I never know what it's gonna look like when it ends. I don't sketch it out or, or have an idea of what it's gonna be. For, for me, it's really the fun of the exploration and the experimentation and you know, what, what works and what doesn't work. But I, I think that just my um, artistic sensibilities lean towards those organic shapes. The constant movement in addition to and subtraction from more York makes it easy to view Claire's space as an art piece unto itself. And I was curious how he viewed the inclusion of Monica's work in a show there. Uh, yeah, um, you know, we had a legitimate sort of uh, flat wall exhibit space as part of the building for probably the first 10 years that we operated and you know bit by bit the 7,000 square foot gallery space became overrun by things I was making <laughs> nobody right. really buys craft they buy art they don't buy craft so you know gradually it just became more and more ID'd as a background of my stuff and this stuff had stuff coming in had to sort of compete in front of this wallpaper of stuff the whole cabinet of curiosities thing is a very big inspiration for me. And a lot of the stuff there is stuff I collect that eventually if I collect enough of it, it too will become a bigger piece. So there's microcosms and macrocosms and all of those things going on within this environment. And the fascination with uh, Monica's work is that I think what we're planning on doing is grafting it into the sort of living environment that more york is and having it bloom in that space and i think people will be a little confused by you know what the 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 root of this thing is and how these new blossoms happened in this space and they'll be scratching their head to separate what's hers and what's mine the show sounds like a lot of fun and i'm sure it'll be spectacular I urge you to see the work and More York itself. The show runs from April 10th to May 7th, and the opening is Sunday, April 10th, from 2 to 7. More York, which is typically not open to the public, will only have limited exhibition hours on Tuesdays and Thursdays from 2 to 5, and Saturdays, noon to 4. But Claire and Monica encourage appointment viewing. The best way to do that is to contact Monica directly through her website. Drop a note to Monica at MonicaWyatt.com. That's Monica Wyatt, W-Y-A-T-T.com. Monica also gives a ringing endorsement of the space. More York is one of the Los Angeles hidden gems. It is otherworldly. It's a jaw-dropping jaw dropping experience to walk through this massive space. It's just incredible. So really hoping that, that people take advantage of the doors being opened and an invitation to come and see it because it's extraordinary. More York is located at 4959 York Avenue in Highland Park. 
That's on the corner of York and Avenue 50. It's a large gray art decoish building with a big green pop-out out on the front of it. You can't miss it. I hope to see you on Sunday, April 10th, between 2 and 7 p.m. for the opening. My guests today have been the artist Monica Wyatt and the craftsman extraordinaire Claire Graham. You can learn more at monicawyatt.com and at moreyork.com, and that's more, M-O-R, york.com. A.G. Geiger Presents is produced by me, Michael Delgado, in conjunction with aggeiger.com, an online fine arts bookstore. Very special thanks to our sponsors, Tito's Handmade Vodka and ArtReportToday.com, a beautiful deep dive into our worldwide arts and culture. ArtReportToday.com. Check them out. Thanks for listening.